Welcome to this Changeboard Future Talent podcast. I'm Jim Carrick-Burtwell, CEO and co-founder of Changeboard. Today we present to you Dame Carolyn McCall's conversation with neuroscientist Dr. Alan Watkins from Changeboard's Future Talent Conference in 2017. Rising through the ranks at the Guardian Media Group, McCall became CEO in August 2006 before moving on to be named Chief Exec of EasyJet in 2010. In July 2017, it was announced that McCall would be joining ITV as their Chief Executive in January 2018. McCall was named UK Businesswoman of the Year in 2008 and was appointed Dame of the British Empire in 2016 New Year's Honours List for services to the aviation industry. Exploring the theme of trust, Carolyn discussed moving into the aviation business with no prior experience and the challenges that she faced in gaining the trust of her new employees. Morning, Carolyn. Morning. Morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to start off with a, a couple of questions just to get us going, but I've already spotted that the wisdom in the room is far greater than anybody sitting here on stage. So as soon as we sort of sense that there's a, a bit of a hum or a vibe or there's a bit of urgency in the room to ask a question, we'll just sort of involve you. So looking impatient, the twitching of the hand will be a good signal because uh, we'll come out to you. Um, but it's been a great pleasure uh, uh, working with you since you took the helm. Uh, I wonder if you might sort of just tell us a little bit about your journey over the last five years in relation to the sort of trust that's built in EasyJet and the employee base. So actually, it's been nearly seven years. So that's orange years. So we say that actually uh, one year at EasyJet is probably... Um, actually, f one year somewhere else is five years at EasyJet. So you do feel like you've been there an awful lot longer. Um, I think that it's, um, it's been an interesting, very, very interesting, very stimulating um, thing to be involved with because it's, everyone is very passionate at EasyJet. So when I got there in 2010, um, I took a calculated risk and I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. And it was absolutely fantastic position to be in because I knew I wasn't an engineer, I wasn't a pilot, um, you know, I wasn't from aviation. But actually, it made me look at what we were doing and how we were doing it with very, very fresh eyes. Um, and so it gave us a huge amount of opportunity. And there were some endemic issues, there were some really quite deep issues. We'd lost. The, the people, actually, and that came directly from the ops director, told me that they'd lost the people and they'd lost the customers because they were, you know, the, the operation was so strained and, and kind of, um, they were not flying well. Um, so that rebuilding of trust between uh, me and, and the crew in particular, and I would say the pilots especially, um, just took time because many of them were just so skeptical of management, and, and I think pilots are very skeptical by nature, mm -hmm. and so um, you, you know you were trying. To, so I was building a, a, a top team, so I was building a, a management team and a, a senior leadership team, while at the same time fixing operational issues, uh, while at the same time trying to rebuild trust and repositioning the brand. So there was a lot going on, but actually it was. Fantastic, because I learnt in six months, probably more. We also had volcanoes, oil price spiking, all the things that happened to airlines, you know, grounded of, grounding of airspace because of the volcano. So actually, you know, I, it was amazing learning because I was able to learn very quickly uh, and get really stuck into the operation. And, and how did that start? Because I remember you sort of almost sort of uh, the equivalent of walking the floor uh, and going around to the bases. So was that a critical thing to actually get out there 
connect with people? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things for me was I didn't want to come in and sit in loads of meetings to be told uh, how brilliant everybody was. Because, I mean, what happens if the commercial team present you, the ops team present you, the HR team present you, etc.? You know, what they're doing is they're giving you their version of reality. And so I got to EasyJet, and the first thing I did was I did a stand-up in the hangar, and it genuinely is an aircraft hangar. Um, we share it with two air, you know, as many aircraft that need maintenance next door. And um, I did a stand-up, and there were hundreds of people in there. And I, all I did was actually say, this is me. Um, I don't know anything about aviation, but I'm going to learn very quickly. But I really want to talk to all of you. And actually, the first thing I'm going to do is get on a plane to Madrid, and then I'm going to go from Madrid to um, Paris, and from Paris, I'm going to spend time in Gatwick. So I literally spent half a day in Luton and then got out to the bases and saw all of the, all of the base management, but mainly the crew. And I have to say, I didn't need anybody to tell me after that week what needed fixing, because I came back the crew know. I mean, they all know much faster than you might know in, in, in a centralized office exactly what needs to happen. Now, I had, I had people queuing up in crew rooms to see me. Now, when I go into a crew room, everyone's, you know, I mean, they will, there's, of course, there are still issues, but it's, it's kind of very minor compared to what it was. And actually, that, that, that is where you get the answers, actually. That, that is really where you get the answers. And if you ever want to, do, if I ever want to do a kind of temperature check about how is this landing or is this initiative any good, I, I, I go out, but I also know from my inbox, whether that's customers or whether that's our own staff, people will just email and say, did you know, does this sound right? You know, we'd love your view on this. So it's a very, it's a very visceral and quite immediate um, way of knowing what you have to be focusing on in terms of fixing. So, so that personal connection is really critical as a sort of start point of that. But is it important, do you think, to kind of get underneath that? So it's one thing connecting with people, but really kind of having a deeper understanding of what they want, what their motives are, their value sort of digging into that level, not yeah. just hearing the surface noise. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think there's noise, and then you're going to get noise all the time. And I'll give you a very good example of that, which is, I, I was told, and it is actually, there is a truth to this, which is, you know, most people moan about crew food, right? Because it has to be, uh, it has to be kind of bulletproof, the food. <laughs> I, you can't get salmonella, right, for obvious reasons. So, it, it, you know... But, and people do moan about it. But, but, but the thing is, what happened in 2010 was I discovered by digging, because there was so much noise around it, that actually what had happened, it's a, it's a pretty sad story, actually, that, they, that, the, that somebody previous, previously had done a deal with the supplier to deteriorate the quality of the crew food so that people wouldn't want it and they'd be able to negotiate out of it. And I just thought that was... I mean, I just looked at it, I said, that's unethical. That is really bad. And I couldn't believe it. I was really very shocked. So I thought, no wonder there's so much noise about crew food. So actually then I just went out and I, I told them what had happened. Mm. I said, well, we're not going to hide this. this. And this will never happen again, which is if we want to negotiate with you out of crew food, because we, you know, there's a lot of wastage with crew food, about 60% of it is wasted. If, if that is the reason we want to do it, well, let's do it openly and transparently and give them the information. Now, we still have crew food. It's a lot better. But we don't kind of fabricate, you know, what's going on. So actually, usually where there's a lot of noise, there is a deeper reason and there is something that you do have to address. Sometimes it will be that you have to say, 
we're very sorry. We know you really don't like this, but we have to do it this way because. And that's because we have a, you know, the, the whole reason we can be great value to our customers is because we are a low-cost operating model. Now, our passengers don't see that, but if you work at EasyJet, you know that utterly. You know, you know that that is one of the really important parts of what you do. So there are times that even though we would like to do something, we can't do it because we're balancing the cost equation with the customer equation and the people equation. So it's a very fragile balance, actually. Um, and, you know, that leads you on to, I think, trust. Because I think as long as you are very open about that, open about what you're doing and why you're doing it, and what you're trying to be true to, um, it works. I mean, one of the things that was very powerful on that is that we um, just articulated the cause of EasyJet. Because it is a, a founder company, very entrepreneurial, very pioneering, and people come to work at EasyJet because they love that. That is a very clear thing. But actually what had happened was that it had lost that founder's mentality. It had lost the kind of insurgency. And so to try and bring that back, you know, we created, with a bit of your help, of course, a cause. But it was so clear what the cause was because we went out and talked to loads of the communities, including the engineers, including people in IT, including people in, um, on the front line. And they, and they all just said, look, we do it because we like making it easy for our customers. We like making it easy. We like being friendly. We want to make it easy. And the other thing they all talked about was the affordability, that we open up places that people would have never gone to because it was su such great value. And those two things, actually, are the driving forces. And the make it easy for our passengers is about the whole digital you know, information, giving information, being absolutely up to date, real time, and empowering the customer to make decisions in the palm of the hand. And then also being very friendly and helpful and we'll never desert you. You know, we'll always look after you. And the affordable the thing is all about the value and about the cost. Um, and those things have to always stay in balance. And actually articulating that and then telling the story around that and creating heroes around that, you know, to, to, to the last session, that has been very powerful because people were really keen to tell their stories about both those things. And we reflect that in our spirit awards, you know, which are our internal awards every year. So I think that really helps you build trust mm. because you're, you're constantly being very open about what you've all agreed is the cause and the kind of framework within which you work. So it's, we give people, we're trying very hard to give people freedom, but within a framework, which is mm. this balance. So if I get you right, there, there was a big piece about you getting out there and connecting with people and then aligning the sort of values behind the cause and, you know, what matters to people. But was there also a piece around sort of delivering on the promise, you know, the on-time performance and all that? Was yeah. that not a big piece? Well, actually, delivering on the promise to customers, mm -hmm. uh, which was all about on-time performance, but you can't deliver on the promise to customers if you don't deliver on your promise to your front line. So I think we had to start with the front line and with the operation which was, look, we just have to do this well. It isn't a competitive advantage. It's just that we have to be punctual, we have to be reliable, and when things go wrong, we have to be open about this, and we have to fix it quickly. You've got to manage the disruption well, because there's always disruption for any airline. So if we can do it better, make it easier than anyone else for you, that is an advantage. So that was all about really um, understanding what was causing um, the kind of morale issues with our people mm. and trying to put fixes into that and then driving the operational performance. Because if you don't have the people behind you, you can't really fix anything. Mm.
So, so delivering for the customers and, and getting the planes landing on time to a much higher degree, that delivery on the promise, uh, along with aligning people behind the motives and your personal touch and connecting with people. But, I mean, one of my observations in uh, EasyJet, and I'd, I'm not sure what the audience view will be, we'll come to you in a second, is there's a sort of um, good humour and a bonhomie and a cheerfulness of, about EasyJet and most of the people there. So is and that black a... humour, actually. Black humour. <laughs> Like an orange-black humour. Orange-black humour, yeah. <laughs> so is that, an, is that also an element, you know, the sort yeah, of yeah, no. uh, think, the humour and the, you know, having fun at work? Obviously, when I arrived on my third day, um, my CFO, who had started on the same day as me, so we, had, we both started on the same day, he came from the music industry, I came from the media industry, and we did look at each other and we went, what are we doing here? <laughs> and then I said to him, but the people are great, aren't they? And then he looked at me and said, yeah, and he said, the model's great. And then we said, that's what we're doing here. And it kind of kept spurring us on. And it was about the people. The people are really fantastic. And it is black humour. You know, it's 24-7. It's relentless. The pace is, is, is high. Uh, and it attracts a certain kind of person. And we have to often step back and say, you know, how, how is that pace affecting people? And, and, you know, we need to pause and we need to make sure that we are developing people and, you know, when I got there, um, genuinely, because things were was so tough, um, there was zero development budget. It wasn't even £10. There was zero. And there wasn't a person doing uh, learning and development in the organisation. They, they just they, they, they had it all gone. And I was very shocked by that, because I'd come from a background where learning was very important. I worked for a media group called Guardian Media Group, and I'd come through the Guardian. And, and the whole area, CIPD members in here, we very, very familiar with the Guardian, how much they do in this area. And, you know, I just... So that's one of the things I fixed really quickly and put in some really, I think, very important kind of giving back. Mm. So just making sure that we were doing development that was helping individuals... Um, round themselves off and look more broadly at their... Because we're a very technical organisation. So very, very easy in an airline to focus on the technical skills, and we're very good at that. But what you need, I mean, you clearly need, is you need rounded managers and rounded directors and, and leaders. So we put a lot of effort into that. But you're kind of, in my experience, uh, maybe uh, a leader in terms of that commitment to that investment. But what would you say to the... Uh, HR community in the room about if their uh, leader isn't geared as you are, you know, how do you kind of open them up to the, the critical importance of that type of people investment? I, mean, what I can think they just do? because of the benefits. I mean, I think that, um, to, to Margaret's point, you know, uh, it's a very, very complex and very uncertain world. And I think in that world, you know, the pyramidical kind of very, you know, hierarchical structure where the boss is supposed to know everything and then the director is supposed to know everything and then, you know, and the answers come from above just doesn't exist anymore. And so you are very reliant on the caliber and the ability of your people to speak up, to be creative, to be lateral, to actually be bold enough to test and things and fail. Mm. I mean, that's a really difficult thing for people to do, to fail, and to kind of say, but we've learned from that, we're going to move quickly on. And, and all of those things, you're not born to do, you know, m most people don't have those as innate skills. They have to be developed, they have to be trained, and they have to be coached and developed. So I think that the only way to do that is that companies that don't do that and don't realise the importance of that will be left behind, and, and, and leaders have to get that. You know, they may not be very good at it themselves, but they have to get it and allow other people to do it. Otherwise, they will stultify. Mm. 
So I'd like to throw it open to the, to the room for some questions from Carolyn. If you know, there's uh, guidance or counsel of, you know, if you, your boss isn't as brilliant as Carolyn. So question here in the, in the front. Yeah, I'm David Walker. I'm from Alexander Mann Solutions. Good morning. Um, I think everyone that's spoken from the stage this morning has talked about trust. Mm. And, and clearly that's an essential lubricant in all of this. I'm just curious to know what you think about fear because that seems to me to the antithesis of trust. Yeah. And yet there's a lot of fear in organisations, and I think there's every indicator that it's growing rather than diminishing. I think you're absolutely right. I think that, and, and it's very invisible. That's the worst thing about fear, because you don't know where it is, and you don't know why it is often, because it could be in some, somewhere where you wouldn't be expecting it. And I think the only thing you can do about fear is to get people to, 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 to the leadership team say repeatedly, you need to speak out. If you see something wrong, do the right thing. You know, if you see something wrong, speak up about it. Let other people learn from you. So I think it does rely on recruiting really, really good leaders. Because I think if you don't have leaders that you trust to actually get rid of fear, then you are perpetuating fear. Because actually, it sounds easy for all of us in this room because we're confident and we've reached certain levels. And so you would speak out naturally. You know, you would speak out on a board. But I think lower down in the organization, it's not like that. Their ecosystem, it looks very different. And so I think you, they have to, all the way down, the leadership has to understand that speaking out and actually not always going with the swim is a good quality, not something that is hard to manage or irritating. And, and I think leadership teams, and I don't just mean the senior leadership, I mean all the people you recruit in people management jobs have to get that. Um, because I do think speaking out is a really important thing. And on that thing about trust, I mean, I think we make it sound, you know, that it sounds very easy, that first three years. It was really, really difficult. I remember 18 months in um, saying to someone who had been in EasyJet for like 14 years, I just said to him, you know, Christ, Mike, you know, I just don't think this is ever going to change. You know, I'm never, they're always going to be distrustful. It's like, it was like beating your head against a brick wall. And then I got to Easter uh, of that first period and um, I got an email and I thought, oh God, you know, I was looking at all my emails and it was from another captain and he went, uh, I know you're expecting a complaint. I just want to say thank you. It's the first time in four years my roster has been stable and I've been able to spend Easter weekend at home. Um, thank you very much. Uh, yours sincerely, Captain Bloody Blah. P.S. Crew food is still shit. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, and, and honestly, that made me so happy because I thought I, I finally, finally started to see some light. And I do think also that little things, actually not even little things, little things and quite major programs can really derail that trust. So, you know, if you're doing any kind of change, you're doing any kind of organizational redesign, which many of you in this room will be doing, um, the, the fragility of trust actually becomes very apparent. And you have to work, I think, 10 times as hard to be visible, to be reassuring, to make sure your compass is right to make sure that you're giving as much information as you can at, as early as you can, not holding it back because you think there's some business reason for not giving it. Because the fact is, that kind of thing really undermines trust. So the fear and the trust kind of go hand in hand sometimes. Thank you. There was a question over here. Hi, I'm Alan Williams. I'm here representing the UK Values Alliance today. 
And uh, you mentioned that in these changing times, the pyramid structure is kind of no longer fit for purpose. So I'm interested to understand uh, what you think will be different going forward as far as structure is concerned. Okay, so I mean, one of the reasons I think the pyramid structure um, is, is unworkable in this more complex world is because it puts the senior leadership, and I don't just mean the CEO, it puts the senior leadership miles away from the end user, right? It puts it so far away from the customer that when something goes wrong, they, they're quite late to find out, and by which time social media has already kind of told the world how bad your company is. So the reputational damage is so great. So I think that, you know, for me, those structures have to flatten. You've got to have less layers in organizations, less bureaucracy, less treacle, and much, less, and, and much more uh, contact between senior leaders and the front line. I really do, because I think the front line have to be given freedom to operate, um, and it is within a framework, but the, the, the board, the layers down, if they're sitting in offices thinking and not actually seeing and touching and feeling what is actually going on, they just lose touch very quickly. And I think you could see that. You can see that in some very high-profile examples of companies then trying to reel back reputation when it's kind of, it's kind of gone because it's, it's already happened somewhere else. Um, and, and so I think that, that, that's, that's very important. I also think you're going to talk a lot about AI and data science and kind of, you know, robotics in the future, automation and so on. I think in that kind of world, you know, pyramids don't work. I mean, if you look at companies like Google and Facebook and all of those companies, they work in a, you know, th those founders still, still know loads of people in the, in, the, in the companies they founded. And that entrepreneurial spirit is what kind of drives them to the next innovation. <laughs> And so I think pyramids, I think, are, are not that great for uh, ag agility and, and in entrepreneurship. So I think if you want to be an agile company that kind of moves um, quickly, then I think uh, that structure gets in the way of agility, gets in the way of uh, really moving to respond to needs quickly. And if you've ever been on a flight with Carolyn, she literally gets the rubbish bag and goes down the aisle and gets all the cups and things, and so did the rest of the exec board. So that's you know, the customer will come to you. But there's a question over here, and then we'll come back to you, if I may. Ian Dodds, uh, Ian Dodds Consulting, the inclusion builder. Um, I do quite a lot of work in getting um, employees to score their managers on 25 critical leadership behaviors. And surprisingly, uh, the ones that the managers consistently score lowest on are listening to people and empowering people. And clearly, these are important to EasyJet. And I wondered what you did to actually make sure that your managers were good at listening to people and empowering them. So I think the really important thing about listening to people is that you then act on it. So I think it's quite... You can say to your, t your leadership team, want you to be more outward-facing, want you to be in, in listening, active listening mode. Um, and I think that is um, it's not easy because it's a cultural change, but it's relatively easy compared to actually then distilling that and saying, this is what we're going to do about the listening. 
So I think that's the more difficult bit that many people don't talk about, is actually the execution of what you're going to be doing is actually as important as being an active listener. So when people come back from bases or come back from uh, things that they've been doing for EasyJet, with EasyJet people, it's quite important that actually they follow through what they say they're going to be doing or asking. So that, that's uh, very important. I, I think empowerment um, is actually you know, really, really hard to do. And I wouldn't say we've cracked it yet. I really wouldn't say we've cracked it because we've worked in a certain way for so long. And if you just think about it, you know, EasyJet started with two wet-leased aircraft going from Luton to Glasgow, right? That's what we did. And then literally, we've just grown and grown and grown and grown. We now have 270 aircraft with 80 million passengers going to like 274 uh, routes, you know, 150 airports. You know, it's just that the, it's just gone mad, really. I mean, it's just gone so big. So, and actually, very quickly, we're only 21 years old. So, I think with that comes, you know, everyone does things in a certain way, and you, I find it amazing how embedded those rules and and kind of even if it's not a written policy, they, they're kind of like unwritten policies that everyone believes is the way you do things. So to change that to empower people is actually a huge shift. And I, we're on our way. Uh, we're on our way. And I do think that also comes down to leadership and to giving them the confidence not to be frightened of trying it differently. So I'll give you an example. Um, um, we, we, you know, the crew will have certain policies about what they can and can't do um, for customers in the air. But actually, they need to use their common sense. We want to empower them to use their common sense. Because if it's 40 degrees on a runway and you are sitting on a plane for half an hour, if the policy says you, get, you know, give free drinks after X time, whatever that might be, actually, your common sense would say, if it's 40 degrees, do it now. Right? But to empower them to do that will be going away from something in their heads that has existed for quite a long time. So it sounds really simple, really simple, but actually quite hard to shift. So the way I think to do that is to really identify the, 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 the key things you want to get people to be empowered around. For us, it's all about the customer. So we're very focused on empowerment with our frontline being about use your common sense for the customer. Do what you think is right for the customer, regardless of what the policy might say, because the policy can't always work in every situation. Now, that doesn't apply to safety, doesn't apply to our standard operating procedures in the cockpit, doesn't apply to anything to do with that, but it does apply to the cabin. No, but you have to say that when you're an airline, because everyone, th I mean, genuinely, in the airline, you have to say that, because otherwise they all think, oh my God, what is the captain going to be empowered to do, you know, something different? So that's not what we're saying. So we, we've been very focused, and then we'll measure ourselves against how we're doing. And one of our key, um, line, you know, there's a whole chunk in our internal survey, uh, staff survey, which is all around empowerment. And we'll see how we start shifting the dial on that. So one final question. Hi. Hello there. It's been fascinating listening to you. Thank you. Thank you. My name's Scott Summers. Um, I'm a training director at the Skills Farm. And I'm curious to know, when, when you, you're moving throughout your organization, how, how do you spot the leaders of the future? What do, what do you look out for? What do I look for? Yeah. Right, so that's, that's, a, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, I really, I do look for people with strong values and the values that we reflect. So integrity is very important. And I know that sounds, I'm sure everyone says that, right? But, but, but it, you know, 
it really does have to work because if you are building a sustainable, long-term, healthy business, the pressure on you on the quarterlies is enormous. So you have to have people who have integrity and resilience to be able to say, do you know what? We're not going to do it this quarter and you know, we're just going to have to face into that. And that, 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 that takes a lot because the market doesn't like that. Right? So you, you have to have leaders, you know, directors, who are honest, resilient, um, and you know, have integrity. And I think I also um, look for people with a sense of humor. I, I do look for people I want to spend some time, not just I, but that the, the, the peers will want to spend time with. Because you want people who have energy and positivity. I mean, not stupidly positive, but actually are positive people. Um, because, you know, things are tough. And, and, and there's a lot... You know, you, you know, the last 18 months has been with, uh, with leaving the, the EU and with the devaluation of the pound and with, you know, all the other events that have ha happened in the world. It's been, you know, very tough yards for us. So you need people who can still come into work every morning positively and, and have the energy to lift other people. So I really look for that. I look for energy. And then, of course, creativity. You want people... Now, not everybody's going to be as creative as each other, but they have to welcome creativity. They have to welcome the fact that there are some people that are going to come in with some strange ideas on occasion, but they need to welcome that and say, that's okay, that's what they, that, that, that could lead to something quite interesting in the future. So kind of an open mind. Um, well, there's a big screen here saying, time's up. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think hopefully you've got a glimpse of the brilliance of Carolyn and why she was voted business leader of the year last year. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this Changeboard Future Talent podcast. To register for your place at this year's Future Talent Conference on March the 22nd in London, where we'll explore the theme Skills to Thrive in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, visit ftconference.changeboard.com. <laughs>